listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, this is Deborah Wolf. Welcome to the Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to have on the show Dusty Rainbolt as my guest. She's a terrific cat expert, but she's also an author. Uh, she's written three books. Cat Running Made Easy is all about living with many, many cats in your home. She's also written Cats for Dummies and Ghost Cats, which is kind of a walk on the other side. But we'll be talking to her later in the show, and I'll be giving you lots of training tips and cat advice and things to do with cats today once she's come on to the show. But before we have her, we're going to deal with some animal news, some dog news, including a little bit about the new Obama dog. And we're going to test your ethics, see if you agree that justice was done. We'll have some trivia questions. And, oh, I'll just keep you thinking about bears and dogs and cats, about pit bulls and whether there really ought to be a pit bull ban. We're going to talk about all of that after this break. So stay tuned and listen to our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Come join the animal party. Don't leave this party before it's over because the best is yet to come. Only losers leave the party early anyway. Party on. Back in a few. And who's this traveling with us today? This is Bailey. She's never flown Midwest Airlines before. Hi, Bailey. (coughs) She'll be fine. We take special care of our traveling pets. In fact, our premier pet program was created by an employee and dog lover who believes that pets should be handled as precious cargo. And they are. Oh, and they earn travel rewards, too. Oh, good. Thanks for flying Midwest Airlines, Bailey. Enjoy your flight. Visit MidwestAirlines.com. Hey, ready to take a walk? Not just you, but the whole family. It's the 2009 Whisker Walk, Sunday, June 7th from 11 to 3 at the Lancaster Fairground in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Pet owners and animal lovers walk to lend a paw to benefit the animal shelters and pet charities they love. Come see exhibits, demonstrations, educational programs, special attractions, product giveaways, entertainment, auctions, raffles, food, fun, and things for adults and kids to see, do, and buy, both human and pet-related. Whisker Walk 2009, a fun day for everyone. For more information, log on to whiskerwalk.org. Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, this is the place for a special paparazzi treat. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to the Animal Party. I'm your host, Deborah Wolf. 
and you're listening to Pet Life Radio. So thank you to all our sponsors. It's great having you at the party. Come on down. Now we're going to go to the water bowl and talk about what's hitting the news in the animal world. This week, everybody's talking about Obama. For weeks now, we've been hearing, should he get a golden doodle? Should he get a shelter dog? Should he rescue a dog? What should he do? The president has enough on his mind, but apparently we think we ought to be able to tell him what kind of dog to get. And in the end, I believe he made a really wise choice. In fact, he went with a dog that's got a single coat, which means it's less likely to shed and less likely to bother his daughter's allergies. But he managed to get one that needed a home. So he kind of combined the best of both worlds. It's a little bit of a myth to think that if a dog isn't in a shelter, it doesn't need a home. There are lots of homeless dogs in foster situations, at breeders who accepted them back, dogs who still need homes but might be purebred and might even suit someone with allergies. So I think he did a great job on this. But one thing I do have to warn him and warn his daughters about is their choice of name. Now, I don't mind the name. I I think it's great, Bo Diddley. But calling your dog Bo is asking for some problems. If you call your dog a name that rhymes with the word no, like Bo, like Ro, there's so many names out there like Stoke. There's so many that rhyme with it. Bruno is another one. If you call your dog a name that rhymes with no, he thinks you're scolding him all the time. So instead of saying, Brew, come, he hears you saying, Brew, which he thinks is his name, and then you say, no. And that doesn't work at all to get a dog to come and trust you and relax and be happy and content. So I think if they can do it, they should either call him Bo Diddley or Diddley and scrap the bow altogether because you don't want to be saying no to your dog. And when you listen to it really closely, when you yell out Bo in a park or somewhere where you're calling him, he's only going to hear the O part. And that's the part that sounds like no. So hopefully they'll start calling him Diddly right away. Diddly's a great name. It calls well, and it'll make that dog a lot happier. In fact, there are some dogs who are neurotic, distressed, on the timid side, and all you have to do is change their name, and they change their personality. So that's something to think about. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about justice. There's been some stuff in the news, and it's a little disturbing to me to see, well, first I'll talk about pit bulls. It's a little disturbing to me to see that how many places are ruling out pit bulls and other breeds. In fact, some of them are so extreme. There's a list from one of the insurers that has, let's see, 74 names of dog breeds that they say are too dangerous. If you own this dog, you can't have their insurance policy. And some of these breeds, it's just a mistake. They've got everything from the Airedale Terrier, the Blue Heeler, uh, let's see, what else? The American Husky, the Bulldog, the Boxer, the Chow Chow. Some of the ones on here, though, you just would never think would be there. The Fox Terrier, the Golden Retriever, the dog that pretty much symbolizes sweetness. The dog used to guide people who can't see is on here at number 45 as their list of dogs that negates their insurance homeowner protection policy. I think that's crazy. There aren't 75 dogs that should be banned. In fact, dogs make our lives more safe, not less safe. And recently in Vancouver... A woman jogging was murdered, and uh, the police are recommending to people that if you go in the park, this is a park that is frequented by joggers and kids. It's a really wonderful park, a big, big forest right in the heart of Vancouver near the university. And um, they're telling people now, if you go there, go in groups. If you're jogging, jog with other women. Well, I just don't think that's practical. How often... 
do you find yourself in the right mood with the right weather with time off and the ability to go jogging and your best friend feels the same way at the same time and is she really the jogging match for you will she match her pace to yours happily sometimes you just want to run on your own and there's no better way to run than run with a dog so I really think that they're smart the police are telling people bring dogs into the park and it's long overdue dogs should be in the park Every time there's a big dog in a park, on leash or off leash, he's protecting the whole park. If somebody's out of line, he's going to bark at that person. He's going to sound the alert. And a person who's out of line isn't even going to go there. They're going to see the dog, and they're going to keep walking. So I really hope we get dogs integrated back as opposed to trying to keep them in the dog parks and away from all the people. The people need the dogs. So further to that, there was a child mauled in Surrey, a suburb of Vancouver, and um, really terribly mauled to the face. Horrible situation. And a woman walking her child in Maple Ridge, where I live, was also mauled by a pit bull. Both cases, they were pit bulls. And so this is raising the alarm again about the breeds and whether or not we should ban pit bulls. Well, firstly, I have to tell you, pit bull breed bans and other breed bans do not work. They just don't work. What happens is the bad apple people who want to have bad dogs switch breeds. They get something even more dangerous. They get something like a gladiator dog, which is a mix of a bunch of dangerous dogs. And they just skirt around the law. They keep their pit bulls. They don't license them. They don't register them. They keep them secret, which is worse. And there are, in fact, more after there's been a law like this passed. So it really doesn't help. Plus, the majority of the dogs who are causing the problems are cross. They're not purebred pit bulls. If you look at the stats, most of the dogs that do fatal damage and bite people are mutts. Now, that's because there's way more mutts than, than purebreds, but that's the truth. Then when you look at the purebreds who bite, the most likely dog to get bit by is actually a chow chow or a German shepherd. So why is everyone so upset about pit bulls? That makes me wonder, and I'm sure you're wondering too. Well, even though that's all true, the fact is that pit bulls comprise a really, really small percent. They only make up 3% of the dogs in America, the registered dogs in America, but they count for 50% of the attacks. And the reason is in the power of their jaw. In an attack with a German Shepherd, which is the, one of these dogs that bites a lot, according to the stats, in an attack with a German Shepherd, the chance of you going to the hospital or dying, having serious injury or dying, is one out of 156. But the chance of having serious injury or dying from a pit bull bite is actually one out of 16. So that's why people are so upset. It's just the amount of damage. And if you're wondering, okay, who's getting bit? Well, unfortunately, the majority of the people being bit do know the dog. They're not strangers. They're not burglars. They're not robbers. And a lot of them are children. And this is where it gets scary. In fact, the group hardest hit is boys ages 5 to 9. And the dogs who are most likely to bite are dogs who are male and intact. So if there's no reason for you to have your dog intact, if you're not part of a good ethical breeding program, Go neuter him. Go spay her right away. The dogs who bite, the dogs who wander, the dogs who fight, the dogs who get hurt, the dogs who trouble us all, the dogs who don't do their job right are more often neutered than not in, in a huge, huge percentage. So we really, we really have to watch that. Now, with kids, 77% of the time, the kids get bit to the face. So it's really, really serious. Now, that stat for the neuter is that a dog who's not neutered or spayed is three times more likely to bite than a sterilized one. So you can see why I'm hitting on that point. Really, really want to make that point. If you've got a dog that's chained up 
and it doesn't experience people and it doesn't learn how to get along with people or kids, then when it gets out, it's a huge problem. And the dog that attacked the woman and maimed her hand and she was afraid it was going to go for a toddler, that dog was wearing a leash that it had broken away from. That dog was not socialized properly. The other dog that's been in the news lately, again, not socialized properly, not trained with kids. All dogs need to be shown what they're expected to know and how to live peacefully so that when something unexpected comes up, they know, oh, it's just a kid. I've met kids before. Oh, I know it's just the neighbor, that kind of thing. If you isolate them, and segregate them from the world, they become very dangerous. So we've got to get our dogs treated well and trained and back in society. I'm sure on further shows, I'll talk more about the pit bull breed ban, BSL legislation, and why it doesn't work. And we'll come back to that when I have an expert on the show who deals with Roddies or pit bulls or some other dog people want to ban. But for now, I'm going to let you know that our brain trivia tease question today has to do with the brain and which animal is most similar, has a brain most similar to a human who is bipolar? That's the question of today. Is it cats? Is it dogs? Is it goats? Or is it horses? Which of these four animals has a brain most like the human bipolar brain, a brain of a human who's bipolar? And we'll answer that question when we come back at the end of the show. Right now, I'm going to be inviting Dusty Rainbold on the show, and we're going to be talking all about cats as carnivores. Cats are carnivores. They should not be fed a vegetarian diet. I'm about to welcome to the show my guest expert today, well-known author Dusty Rainbold, author of Kittens for Dummies, Ghost Cats, and my favorite, Cat Wrangling Made Easy. Welcome to the show, Dusty. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our discussion. It's great to have you, especially when I find myself talking once again about the crazy celebrities putting their pets on vegetarian diets. Oh, come on. Please tell people this just shouldn't be. Well, I don't know which celebrity of the week has decided to go to a a vegan or vegetarian diet for, for cats, but the truth is there's no such thing as a vegetarian cat. You can feed him a vegetarian diet but that doesn't make him a vegetarian any more than putting feathers on him makes him a bird. <laughs> so uh, It's not people- just a preference of taste with cats. They really aren't built like rabbits or humans, omnivores or herbivores. They're not built to get nutrients out of vegetables the same way we can. So they truly rely on meat. That's right. They're obligate carnivores. That means they have to have meat. There are no meat substitutes that they need to rein because taurine helps their hearts. If they don't have enough, they'll go blind. They'll develop cardiomyopathy. And there is no substitute for taurine. People who have taurine substitutes, it's animal product. So you can't ever, even if you go vegan and you're adding the taurine, you're still adding animal matter to their food. They are carnivores. They can't live on a vegetarian diet. A diet that's truly natural for cats is about 12 to 18 mice per day. That's really what they ought to eat. So part of this, part of the reason we're talking about this is there was a lot of um, kerfuffle over this when a famous author had to put down his cat at the end of a long life and he wrote a tongue-in-cheek article stating that he was glad because it saved the fish. And he was basically blaming the world's cats and the pets who eat pet food for hurting the world stock fish populations. And this seems so crazy. It's only 10% of the world forage fish that goes to cat food. And it's really easy to feed your cat without feeding it 
fish food. You could pick foods that don't involve fish. So I really don't think the answer to the shortages of fish is in not feeding our cats fish or not feeding our cats meat. The answer is in controlling our pollution, our runoff, our pesticide use. That's where we have to be heading. Don't you agree? I absolutely agree. And overfishing. I mean... You know, let's face it, humans are the ones that are eating most of this. I'm sure that the uh, pet food industry probably uses seconds, and and so they're not getting the the top-of-the-line fish anyway. So it's it's just, it's a crime, I think. It's, It's cruelty to feed your cat a vegan or vegetarian diet. So we're going to talk some more after the break. Right now, we have to take a break and listen to our sponsors, and they're great sponsors, so it's worth listening to. They're fun. And we'll come back right after that to the animal party, but I'll be talking to Dusty about how to train your cats, how to get your cats to behave in your house, how do you know the bully from the victim, how can you tell which cat's on top, and how do you make them get along peacefully. We'll talk about all that when we come back from our sponsors. Thank you. Because the best is yet to come. Stick around. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No. To my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets with your paranormal pet's ghostly host, Dusty Rainbolt, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Party with your host, Deborah Wolf. I'm a best-selling author of the book, Good Dog, and my new DVD is in stores now, Dog Training That Works. I've been doing radio a long time, and I won the Dog Writers Association of America's Best Pet Radio in America Award. So I've been doing this for a while, and I'll be bringing you the best guests I can find from the animal world. Dog experts, cat experts. Today, we have Dusty Rainbold on the show, author of Cat Wrangling Made Easy, one of my favorite books. So welcome back again, Dusty. 
Well, thank you again. Thank you for having me. I'm just delighted to be here. Especially, this is your inaugural show, isn't it? It's my very first show on Pet Life Radio. Yay! <laughs> when I read your book, it really struck me the way you can tell just by looking at where they sleep, how they move, who gets the best spots, what the best spots are. You've been observing your cats so well that you can tell just from looking at these things who's the bully, who's the victim, who's on top, who caused the fight. And can you help my listeners understand that? Because there's people out there with a couple of cats, some urine stains, cats who aren't using the litter box. There's obvious signs of conflict, but they can't figure out what's going on. Well, in a cat society, there are a number of different levels. You've got your dominant cat or your alpha cat, and he's the guy at the top of the totem pole, literally. Uh, You look at the high spot in your house, in the room, and you're going to see the big guy up there. He is surveying his domain. His job as the dominant cat is to take care of the other cats, to watch for danger. He's going to be the one to approach company. And uh, as a matter of fact, our our dominant cat, uh, his name is Groucho. Mm -hmm. And when company comes, he'll be right there watching them. We had one guy that didn't like cats, and Groucho uncharacteristically walked up and bit the guy on the ankle. And the guy looked down at it and laughed, but I think Groucho was testing him. And then after that, the other cats kind of filtered into the room. So their job is to protect the rest of the clouder. The other end of the spectrum is the the pariah. And this is not a common cat. He's a fearful cat. He's afraid of everybody. Everybody beats him up. He probably won't come out of his little corner A lot of times they won't even come out to eat unless the other cats aren't around. But that's a really uncommon situation. And then you have all kinds of different levels in between. You've got your middle managers, and they're always jockeying for position. That's a very dynamic strata of the cat community. And it's not directly linear, right? Like a cat can be number one, another one can be number two. But it doesn't just go one, two, three, four, five. Like a a female cat who's a little submissive might be above the weakest male, but underneath the strongest female. So the hierarchy isn't always a straight line, is it? No, it's not. And uh, it's very dynamic. So it changes. It does. It depends on what room, what time of day. Uh, The dominant cat will always seize you, usually the the best uh, real estate in, in the room, you know, the the corner with the sun on it, and then he'll relinquish it to a lesser cat. So uh, which cat is dominant in which room depends on the time of day and who's present. Well, and you also point out in your book, and this was the first time I'd ever even considered it, that the spot, like the spot by the window in the sunshine, is valuable because of the sunshine. A few hours Mm -hmm. later, that spot's cold and boring. So timeshare, cats understand timeshare, don't they? They invented timeshare. <laughs> I think we stole it from them. <laughs> so you can't necessarily tell, okay, that's the top cat. He's in the best spot. Because if you really look, is that really the best spot at 9 o'clock at night? No, the best spot at 9 o'clock at night is on top of the warm refrigerator. Or, you know, there's some other close to you when you're reading your book. There's something. But there's also a way of telling when a bully cat, a strong cat, dominant cat, walks through a room, you should say in your book that he walks through the center. Whereas that's a Brady ex- cat... They don't do that, do they? No, the, you're right. The, the dominant cat will walk through the center of the room confidently, and the lesser cats will 
walk along the, the walls uh, for protection. They're, they're not nearly as confident. I think the other thing you said, which is great, was that if you watch when they're sleeping, the one who's being picked on will lash out at the sleeping giant, won't they? Mm-hmm. That, that's right. But um, another, another aspect that's very interesting is um, if you see two cats involved in a fight, Usually the one making the noise is not the aggressor. Now, most people assume that the cat yowling and screaming and, and carrying on is the aggressor, but they're not. They're trying to bluff the aggressor. The aggressor is usually very quiet, and a lot of aggression is very subtle, way below the human radar. You know, in a dog fight, if it's loud, they're not actually fighting. Because when they're biting each other, they're not very loud at all. So when there's mm-hmm. a lot of fuss, they're just trying to get attention. And I think with cats, just like with dogs, a lot of it is posturing. They really uh-huh. would rather not fight. Well, and cat fights usually don't last but a few seconds. Uh, cats don't go in for the kill like other animals do. They, they uh, have their attack, it's over with, and then the, the winner is dominant and the loser licks their wounds, literally. <laughs> Well, that's interesting because sometimes people perceive cats as, um, I guess, unnecessarily violent. The idea that a cat will kill when, it's, when it doesn't need to eat and it's not hungry disturbs people, you know? And so they think of cats as malicious or vindictive. But when you talk about them fighting, they, they have as little aggression as possible to settle the dispute and they get over it. They don't sit in a st- and sulk about it for days and days and days, right? That's right. There's a good reason why they don't want to engage in fights for very long. In the wild, if you get hurt, you can't eat. You know, if you get bit on the paw, you can't run after the prey. If you suffer injuries and you get an infection, you could die. So the less contact you have with an opponent, the less opportunity you have to get hurt. It's a survival mechanism. And gee, people should take a lesson from that, (laughs) I think. Yes. Yes. No, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from cats. The way they stretch, we use it for yoga, we use it for martial arts, but there's a lot in it. The way they stretch, the way they take care of themselves. They only spend, what, eight hours a day working? The rest is sleep. And that's if they have to hunt. I mean, these guys, they know how to relax. They know how to live. Well, and, and, you know, when they're relaxing, they're storing up that energy because when they hunt, it's a, a sprint, it's a spurt, and they use up a lot of energy. So, but they're very efficient hunters. They're efficient at everything they do. When you compare them pound for pound to another animal of that size, you really can't find anybody as agile, as fit, as able. Uh, the cats, they see in seven times less light than we do, and they hear one and a half more octaves than we do. And all their agility puts most of the animal world to shame. The only thing as agile as a cat is probably a lemur. I mean, they're really gifted a- athletically. They're very neat. And that brings me to another point. Cats really need exercise. If you have a naughty cat, there's a good chance that he just has way too much energy and you need to exercise him two or three times a day. I don't mean let him play with the little ball that he's been ignoring for two years. I mean get one of these feather toys out and let him chase it for ten minutes. I think people expect animals to, adult animals to just sit around and play with toys the way a little kid would play with a, you know, a Nintendo or something. It doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. If you're not playing with the dog or the cat, 
then it's not very interesting. It's like if you want to go play basketball, but there's no hoop, there's just a ball, and you're just sitting there by yourself. You need another person in a net to make it really a fun game. And that's the same with cats and dogs. You can't expect your dog to entertain himself in your yard by himself with nobody to play with. You can't expect your cat to chase around a ball like a little kitten. I mean, if it's really frustrated, if it's at the end of its rope, it might. But it'll probably shred your curtains instead. You'd be better off to set a time every day where your cat knows, okay, this is playtime. And they, you initiate it so they don't bug you to get it going. And you make it fun. You, you take something they're allowed to play with and you make it surprising. Pretend you're the prey. That comes to the prey mate mm-hmm. issue. You the have to be the prey. And study prey. I mean, study the way a mouse moves or a bird moves because it's no fun if you just uh, run the toy back and forth so they can't catch it. They need to catch it, play with it a little while. The prey needs to get away, and, and you do that for a while, and then you end with them getting to kill the prey, and then you give them a treat. And this is especially a good thing to do if you have a cat that likes to bother you in the middle of the night. Wear them out beat them because that would be the natural order of things and then they'll sleep yes definitely in homes with more than one cat there's almost always this terrible odor like the cats have been peeing not in the right place not in the litter box and usually people just don't have enough boxes if you've got five cats you need six litter boxes and i'm not overstating this am i No, you're not. I I know people that have five cats and two litter boxes, and I shudder. I cannot imagine that. But people need to realize that cats are very much like humans, except they're cleaner. Yes. You know, pardon me for being a little bit blunt, but if you go to a public toilet and the person ahead of you hasn't flushed it, you're going to automatically, instinctively go to a clean toilet. Well, cats are the same way. They don't want to use something that's already been used because uh, their survival depends on their cleanliness. So they're going to find some place that's more acceptable. If you're out all day, there are litter boxes. There's one that works almost like a revolving restaurant. The arm inside it goes around so slowly, the cat would never notice. But it's like a rake. And all day long, it's cleaning it. So the litter is never really dirty. There's a few like that. There's another one when the cat leaves, the sensor activates, and the whole thing scoops itself. Because if you're finding that no matter, you know, you're gone long, long hours, and you have more than one cat to keep each other company, you got to get those litters changed when you're not there. And so that would work for you. That's something you could look into. But you do have to make sure your cats like the litter you've chosen and that they like the location. It's no good to put the litter box beside a shower because then... It might get turned on one time when they're in there, and they'll never go in there again. The laundry. Uh, if you put it in the laundry and there's a tennis shoe going around in the dryer, uh, forget that. He's never going to go in there because he's going to remember. They have long memories when it comes to fearful things. Another thing is about the cat scratch, because we're talking about location. And I think a lot of people are suffering out there from cats who shred their furniture. So mm-hmm. they go out, they buy a cat scratch. Usually it's two or three feet. It's way too short. The cat can't even stretch himself to scratch properly. But then they stick it somewhere like the basement. Oh, that's not going to work. Can you, you know, it's kind of like, I picture cats a little bit like teenagers doing graffiti on the subway. They don't want to leave their tag where no one will see it. That's not going to do it. Exactly. Also, that's another problem with litter boxes, if we can get back to that. Uh, A lot of people will put litter boxes in inconvenient places because they don't want to have to deal with the smell. Well, the problem is the cat has to go down a whole story 
to get down to the basement. And especially if you have an old cat or, or a cat with some kind of disability, they're just not going to be able to do it. And as far as a scratcher goes, same thing. You know, things need to be convenient for the cat. Cats are not going to go to a lot of trouble. You need to put the scratcher next to the couch that they're scratching on. And then you can move it slowly to the area of the room that's more acceptable. But don't just put it someplace away because they're not going to use it. And as you said, it needs to be substantial. They need to be able to stretch. And take your finger and poke the top of it. If it moves when you poke it, it's too short or too small or not stable enough. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm sorry to say we've run out of time. I'm going to have to have you back on the show if you're willing, Dusty. Will you come back and talk with me again? Thank you for coming to my animal party. It's been great on Pet Life Radio. Thanks, Dusty. We'll talk Thank to you again you. soon. So that was Dusty Rainbolt from DustyRainbolt.com. If you want to see more about Dusty, look her up on Pet Life Radio where she has a show herself. You can also get transcripts, send me comments or pet questions, pet problems to my animal inbox at Deborah at Pet Life Radio. And I just want to suggest to you today that every week if I've got animal emails from you, I will read them out on the show. But um, when I don't, I'll give you a couple of good websites. And lately I've been following, I've been Twittering this cat called RomeoTheCat.com on Twitter. And Romeo the Cat is raising some serious money for uh, animal shelters and charities. So if you're interested in Twitter and if you'd like to see what Romeo the Cat is doing, check out RomeoTheCat.com. Another great site I've been looking at lately because the titles grab me. A couple of new books out. The Creature Under the Fridge. Kiss My Kitty Butt and lessons in stocking and information about those three are all available on mypetfreebies.com which is another good site to check out for well you can guess pet freebies so check that out too next time I'm on the show we'll talk a little bit more about justice topics and polar bears and we'll do some more dog stuff but for now I'd like to leave you with just a, a small little comment difference between dogs and cats dogs play with old socks Cats play with new pantyhose. There's a difference between dogs and cats. And the answer to the trivia question is, the animal brain that is most similar to the brain of a bipolar human is the cat. Cats shift back and forth very quickly, and they go into their primitive brain very quickly. And there's some really interesting work coming out showing that the cat brain is a lot like a bipolar human's brain. And I've just got one haiku for you before we go. This is a cat haiku from one of my favorite authors, Arden Moore. And here we go. Litter box, not there. You must have moved it again. All crap in the sink. Okay, so with that, that's been our animal party. We'll talk to you next time. Come back to the party at Pet Life Radio. This has been Deborah Wolf, your host. Party on, animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.